You know, I confess that uh, when I first read the question that we're going to be answering today, why do people quit going to church? My first thought was, well, that's what I'd like to know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this particular question. You know, I'm in the belly of the beast. Uh, I'm a homer. I'm all in on the church. And so I wonder myself, why would anybody ever quit coming to church? I can't live without it. And I'm, I'm hoping to explain some of those reasons this morning. Now, if you're like me, and I know a lot of you are, you're all in on the church, you might be tempted to think poorly of someone who leaves or quits. And I want to caution you to be careful about how you think of others uh, when they leave or, or how they leave. Uh, there are reasons that I think we could all understand and even sympathize with. I'll give you some examples. I, I have a pastor buddy of mine who, who talked to me about his son leaving the church after he graduated from high school. And it was very painful for, for a dad to see his son wandering away, wandering away from his faith, away from God, and away from his church. But he came back. And, and he told his dad when he came back, he said, Dad, I had to leave to, to determine for myself that I really needed it. And as much as, as, much as uh, it wasn't good for that young man to, to walk away from the church, he needed to discern rightly that this faith was his faith and not just merely adopt the faith of his family uncritically. Or sadly, another example is we've learned over the years that every kind of church has been caught up in some of the scandals uh, where children have been victimized. I mean, why wouldn't a family, why wouldn't a person leave and never come back when they've experienced the darkness of hell inside a church instead of the light of heaven? When the church fails its master, Jesus, and acts more like the devil, people are going to leave, and that's probably not a bad thing to do. But there are many bad reasons to leave the church, a lot of superficial reasons to leave. We're not going to talk about many of them, But probably to best understand why some might leave the church and quit the church, it might be best to look at why the church is so important. Why is is gathering with the people of God so critical to our faith? And I think that if, if we learn that and then work backwards, we might understand some of the bad thinking that we want to avoid, some of the faulty beliefs that we want to avoid, so that we remain committed to the people of God for the glory of God and for the good of our own souls. And so I have two primary passages I want to take you to this morning that, that share two primary reasons why the church is important. And then, like I say, we're going to work backwards as to why some might quit then. And so the first passage I want to take you to is Matthew chapter 18. Once you grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew, of course, the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel. Turn to Matthew 18. We have some Bibles near you in the seats. Grab one of those. Now the teaching we're going to actually study this morning begins two chapters earlier in chapter 16. I want to briefly tell you what what happens in Matthew 16, and then we're going to read and study more specifically Matthew chapter 18. Now, In Matthew chapter 16, that's the famous passage where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter responds by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to this correct answer from Peter by saying, yes. And on this statement, on this confession, I'm going to build my church. That's who the church is. The church is comprised of people who confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Christ, that everyone who looks upon Jesus as the chosen one of God to bring us back to God is received into the people of God. And then what happens next is Jesus then entrusts Peter and the other disciples with this amazing responsibility. When he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of God. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now it's not so obvious what Jesus means by that. What are these keys and what does it mean to bind and loose? It's not so obvious in Matthew chapter 16. But it's made clearer in Matthew 18. And so we're going to read Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Before I do that, let's ask God's help to understand his word in this message this morning. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we're about to read your scriptures. Written by men, but breathed out by you, God. These are your words to us. Help us feel the weight and the the gravity of this moment, hearing from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to read, starting in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. This is what it reads. Jesus is talking. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I know many of you have heard this teaching before. This is Jesus' instructions as to what we are to do when we have a Christian friend who's stuck in sin and, and running away from Jesus. And we're told here that we're supposed to lovingly go get him. Supposed to lovingly go get her, lead them back to Jesus. And if they keep on refusing, even if they refuse the church's call to come to Jesus, Jesus is telling us here in this passage that we're supposed to change the way we understand who they are and how we are to relate to them. He says we are to relate to them no longer as brothers and sisters, but as, but as people who need Jesus. People who who need to be brought into the family of God. People who need to be born again and saved. And did you notice 
what Jesus calls this act of the church trying to both correct a wayward brother and rightly identify who they are. Did you see how Jesus refers to that? He calls it binding and loosing. Just like in Matthew chapter 16. And so I would argue that Matthew chapter 18 spells out more specifically what it means for the church to be entrusted with the keys of the kingdom of God and a greater understanding of what this binding and loosing means. Jesus is telling the church that they have this responsibility of either affirming a person in their faith or helping them understand more clearly that they need to come to faith in Jesus Christ and how they can be a part of the family of God. And so let me summarize that for you right now, okay? Here's how to summarize it. Christ's church is given the responsibility to affirm Christians of their faith in Christ. That's an awesome responsibility. If you are part of this church, you play a role in affirming your brother's and sister's faith in the Lord. And they play a role of affirming you, of your faith in the Lord. Now, to get to our question this morning, why do some people quit coming to church? Just flip this question around. And let me ask it to you this way, maybe. Do you think that a person who knows that they need to be affirmed in their faith by the church is going to quit coming? I don't think so. I don't think so. Not likely. If you know you need your church's affirmation and encouragement that you have faith and how to keep growing your faith, you're not likely going to quit. One of the reasons why people quit coming to church is because they don't think they need this affirmation. They don't think that they need this for their life. They are so assured of their faith on their own that they don't see the need of the church to affirm this in their life. And I've come to believe over the however many years of experience I have doing this that the idea that we need others to affirm our faith, the church no less, quite frankly rubs our pride the wrong way. We just don't think we need it. Nobody's going to tell me what my faith with Jesus is like. My faith is personal. It's between me and Jesus. I hear that all the time. And so the thought that I would need the church to tell me what my faith is like, to help me understand what my faith is like, to affirm me in my faith, is almost insulting. And one of the reasons for this is because, uh, I think even unsuspectingly, unknowingly, we just think of ourselves as the final authority when it comes to our faith. I'm a Christian because I say I am. And I don't need anybody else to tell me what my faith with Jesus is like. And you know what that makes you? That makes you the final authority. I hope when you think of it that way, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense. 
That I decide everything about my faith for me? That I decide when I come in, I decide where I go, I decide how I grow? Math, or, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus himself is the author of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He decides who's in. He decides how we grow. He decides who affirms us. He decides what, what, uh, what it will be like when we stand before him. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And guess who he gave the keys of the kingdom to? He gave them to his church. When my teenage boys got to be driving age, Corby and I, we know we had to buy a, a third car. You know, teenagers being able to drive themselves around, man, I love it. I love it. There is some anxiety that goes with it, but I love it. I don't have to pick them up anymore. I don't have to drop them off. I don't have to sit in the school parking lot till 11 p.m. at night waiting for the bus to come back from a ball game. I can just let them do that stuff. Now, if you have young kids, you don't have teenagers, and your kids are like five, six, seven, you're like, well, Brian, what's it like, you know, for your kids to start driving themselves around? My analogy is it's like, it's like your kids getting out of diapers. It's fantastic, you know? But it's my car. That third car is my car. I decide who drives it. I decide who rides in it. I decide where it goes. And I give my boys the keys with all those expectations clearly laid out. I don't hand my keys to anybody. I don't keep them in the ignition for anyone to pass by and drive it. I give them to my sons and my sons alone, and they know exactly what they're supposed to do with those keys. And friends, Jesus did not give the keys of the kingdom to anyone and everyone. He gave them to his church, with very specific instructions. Not anyone can just bind and loose. And we can't, as a church, even bind and loose the way we ever, however we want to do that. We must do it the way Jesus says we are to do it. And one of the reasons why some people quit going to church is because they just do not think they need their church to do this for them. They don't need to be affirmed. They are their own authority. They don't need the authority of Christ's church. Now, I am well aware that this teaching can be misapplied and abused. In fact, maybe some of you have, have left the church at, during a certain time of your life for the very reason that these teachings were, were and principles were misused and abused against you rather than for your good. And I am sorry about that. I do not want that to happen. But the response that we should have when someone or some church abuses the scriptures, is not to ignore it then for the rest of our life. It is to find a people, to find a community of God who will follow God's instructions the way Jesus commanded. That's what we need. Friends, we just talked last week, did we not? Why does God allow bad things to happen? We just talked last week that we really don't know what kind of faith we have. We really don't until the, the, the hard times come and then we realize, wow, this is the kind of faith I have. I thought it was different. Why would we think anything differently? The church is one of God's blessings to us to help us understand what kind of faith we have. And when we see that with the help of the church, we can turn back to God more and more for his grace and for his mercy. I pray you hear that and you say, I want that. 
I need that. And then you keep on coming and not quit. So that's the first, first reason I wanted to highlight for you. Let's look at the second passage. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. So go in your Bibles again to Hebrews chapter 10, more towards the back of your Bible, back of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me tell you what's going on here in this passage. The, the, the author of Hebrews is wrapping up a, a section of teaching of just how sure, just how powerful the sacrifice of Jesus is to save us and to forgive us of our sins. If you ever wonder, is Jesus' death on the cross, is his resurrection from the dead sufficient to save even me? This is a great passage to turn to. Hebrews, um, the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to convince you and I, the readers, that if you are in Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are secure in him. He saves to the uttermost. And so then what happens then in chapter 10 is, the author says, since we have such a confidence in Jesus, since we are so sure of how wonderful his work is for us, let's keep taking these steps of faith. That's what he does in chapter 10. Let's make sure we keep drawing near to God because it's worth it. And let's make sure that we hold fast to Jesus because he will hold fast to us. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 10. And then look what he says in verses 24 and 25. The last thing the writer says we should be doing because we have such a sure hope in Christ. Look at 24 and 25 of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so what what the author is saying is, because we have such a sure confidence in Jesus, let's keep stirring each other up towards love and good deeds. And here's the rationale behind that. Friends, our home is so secure in Jesus... Our lives are so safe with him, we don't have to worry, we don't have to work to try to secure our own life for ourselves. We can give it away. Give it away in love and good deeds. Now, did you notice what the writer says is a prerequisite to being stirred up towards those love, loving deeds of good works to others? Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together is as is the habit of some. Even 2,000 years ago, people were quitting the church. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't quit. And so meeting together, having a habit of gathering together as the people of God is one of the ways we are encouraged, one of the ways we are stirred up to love and good works, the very works that God has called us to do in Jesus. Now, doesn't that happen for you? I mean, I'll be honest with you, that happens for me. When I see you worshiping God, that stirs me up to want to worship God too. And when I see you serving sacrificially in various areas around the church, I am encouraged then to keep sacrificing myself the way you're sacrificing yourself. 
And there are times, you know, where I get a little discouraged and I wonder, like, is this stuff working? And is this effort, is it worth the effort? And then one of you will come and you will affirm the work that we're doing as a church. And I'll say, okay, well, let's keep going. Let's keep doing it. Like, this is one of God's strategies to help us stay encouraged and enthused in, our, in obeying our master Jesus to keep doing the good works that he's called us to do. And when we quit coming, we're not able to stir each other up the way Hebrews 10 tells us to. Now, with this passage in mind, here are some reasons why we might quit coming to church. First of all, we might not know or recognize the connection between coming to church and being motivated to do the good works that Christ called us to do. So maybe this is new information for you. You're like, I, Brian, I never, I never knew that one of the reasons why we gathered was so that we could keep encouraging one another to do the good works that Jesus is calling us to do. Well, I'm glad I could share that with you. Now that you know better, do better. Okay? That's the first one. Now, secondly, some of us might think we don't need the church's help to do this. And I would say that that's just our pride getting in the way. Like we need one another more often than we admit and understand. But also, also, you don't merely gather so that you are encouraged and motivated to live for Jesus. You keep gathering so that others are encouraged too by your presence and your encouragement. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, it's not just for you, it's for you to be a blessing to others. That's, that's part of the goal. I'm wondering, when you have debated in your mind and battled whether you should go to church or not today, have you ever asked yourself, you know, might my absence be a discouragement to my brothers and sisters? Maybe I should go. Maybe I should go because I don't want to be a discouragement to those around me, to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Did you know that happens? It is not uncommon. It is not uncommon for me to be asked from time to time, hey, Brian, where's so-and-so? Like, I haven't, I haven't seen him around for a while. Sometimes I know. Sometimes I don't. But you know what usually happens? Is when they hear the news, they're discouraged. And not in an angry discouragement, not in even a disappointment, I'm mad kind of discouragement, just a sadness. I, I, I miss seeing them. And what's, I hope everything's okay. And here's what does not happen. They're not stirred towards love and good deeds. Lastly, some people don't care about doing good works. Now, I know we wouldn't say it that way. We would never admit that so bluntly. Um, but unless, friends, you prioritize good works, unless you see them as the very reason why you're saved, a la Ephesians chapter 2, 
verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared for you to do in advance. If you don't, if you don't prioritize that and then make plans and preparation and strategies so that you're stirred up, you're going to put gathering together underneath the Packer game, underneath shopping, underneath spending all summer at the cabin on your priority list. You're just going to do that. You have to be intentional about saying, man, I want to be about the good works that God has called me to do, so I have to do what is necessary where I continue to be encouraged to do that. If you don't, if you don't make that conscious decision, other things will be more important than gathering together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just going to happen. If you have, uh, I, know, I know many of us parents face the dilemma of sports on Sundays. And I would encourage you, if you have young children, meaning too young where you haven't had to sign on the dotted line, your summer's away or your winter's away for various sports, like you haven't, made, you haven't had to make that decision yet, put a stake in the ground right now. What you're going to do. Because if you wait to make that decision when you have to sign on the dotted line, I'm pretty much going to tell you you're going to you're gonna decide to sacrifice your summers or your winters or whatever to play ball. You're probably going to make that decision because of the pressure, because of the desire. And so I just want to encourage you to, to think about these things now. Ask yourself right now, what do my kids need more? Do they need Jesus, his word, his church, or playing time? Which one do they need more? Ask yourself, what message will my son, what message will my daughter receive if we make ball games our habit and not gathering with God's people as our habit? And please know, please know that your kids are impacted and influenced more by what you do than what you say. If your strategy is telling your kids, kids, Jesus, God's church are more important than anything, while you're driving to the ball game on Sunday, it doesn't work that way. I'm just telling you right now, it doesn't work that way. They know what's valuable. They know what's a priority. It's what you're doing. Your kids are not dumb. I cannot say to my kids, I love your mom more than any woman on the face of the earth while I'm dating other women. I can't do that. They know by my actions. Look, I know, because I have four boys, I know how hard these decisions are. And I'm not trying to say that there's never a time for recreation on a Sunday morning. I'm not trying to say that. But I am saying, because I love you, and I love your kids, if recreation and things like that become your habit on a Sunday morning, instead of gathering with God's people, you are making a mistake. You are making a mistake that will damage your faith and the faith of your children. I like to put it this way. I, I'm, I'm seeing 
within our church culture, broadly, this broad church culture, from sea to shining sea, here, this American Christianity, I'm seeing it this way, where church is becoming the thing we do when we don't have anything else going on. If that's your habit, it's an unhealthy habit. We should be saying, I can't sign up for this or I can't be going to that because I'm committed to going and gathering with the people of God. What we shouldn't be saying is, well, we can sign up for this and we can sign up for that and we just won't be able to attend church as frequently then. That's not good for our faith. And it's not good for the faith of our children. And like I say, these are hard, these are hard things. It's hard to know exactly what to do. But look at that passage in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to, gather, to meet together as is the habit of some. Don't make that your habit. Make gathering together with the, your brothers and sisters in Christ Make that your habit. Make that the norm for the good of your soul and for the good of your family. There's a kind of independence, friends, kind of an an entrepreneurial independence that's good. The scriptures tell us that there is a kind of dependence that's unbecoming of Christ. And so I like, I think it's good for us to have that kind of uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I'm going to do my best with what God has given to me. But, there's, but that, can, that independence can be very prideful very quickly. And that pride shows itself when it comes to gathering together with God's people. Pride says, I don't need the church. Pride says, I can do this on my own. Pride says, I really don't need the affirmation of others. I don't need to be stirred up for love and good deeds. I don't need the accountability of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as best I can. See the value, see the importance of gathering together for your affirmation, for accountability, for being stirred up in your faith towards love and good deeds to others, and then make attending the gatherings that we have together as a church family, your habit, and you won't regret it. That's the word of God for us today.